fall in Nebraska. Leaves turn, seasons change. Football towers above. As across the state, people come together to cheer on their Cornhuskers. But this season will be different. As our lives have been rocked by a pandemic, Nebraska football will be dormant this fall. For the first time since 1889, fans will miss out on the scarlet and cream. We'll miss the excitement as the team approaches the field. And the thrill of the first score. It's not the end. Football will return. And with it, the chance to come together again. To experience the highs and lows of the competition on the field. The wait will be long, but the wait will be worth it. We'll miss you, Nebraska football. Fall won't be the same without you. Hi everyone, I'm Michael Severe. Welcome to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. As the voiceover said, it's one of the weirdest off-seasons we've ever had for our country and for the Big Ten as well. Lots of questions to be answered, and we'll try to do that tonight. Joining me, former Husker Jay Moore here on the set. Jay, it seems like there's breaking news every 10 minutes, not much less every day. Uh, that voiceover kind of talked about how we're not going to have football, but really, we don't know at this point, do we? No, we don't. That's, you know, you... you just go back a few weeks ago, we thought it was it was done for, and then it seems you know every 24 hours, heck, 12 hours, that new information is coming out. Um, presidents are getting involved, um, and like presidents of the United States. Correct. The involved, the presidents. Yeah. Yes, that's, mm -hmm. I should rephrase that. Right. Um, and people are realizing how important it is not only to here uh, us here in Lincoln, but important to everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's it's important and. Football needs to be played, and I think um, information is coming out, more information, mm -hmm. um, and it's being presented in the right way. And I think, hopefully, um, the people who are at the top, the, the presidents, the the you know the ADs and and um, the chancellors, they're all getting together and saying, hey, maybe we maybe we rush to something here, right. maybe we rush to um, our judgments, and maybe we need to kind of backpedal here and, and look at it at a different angle. And I think that might starting that might be getting done right now. And that's where you're hearing a lot of the rumors and in the talk, and it, and it's great because I wasn't very optimistic, you know. Right. But you know, I, I, I from the get go, I said, spring football is not going. I don't think it could work. Or maybe. winter football. Or winter for whatever. Yeah. yeah, just not. It's not realistic in my mind. Um, and I think they're starting to realize that too much pressure on the on the players' bodies, playing eight, possibly ten games in the spring. You want them to play twelve more, right. potentially a fourteen in the in the fall. Um, and I think cooler heads are kind of coming to a top here to realize, hey, we made a, made a mistake and we have more information. We have better opportunities to, to make this happen. Let's take a look at the timeline because this goes all the way back, obviously, to March. You had the basketball game that happens with Utah. All of a sudden, the NBA is canceling the next day. You have everything being canceled across college. And then by the time we get to July, the Big Ten announces conference-only schedules, which surprised every other conference. Nobody expected that. They were the first to do that. And then, remember how great that morning was, August 5th. I know we were on the air doing it, and all of a sudden, the Big Ten was announcing a schedule. We start going through it. How many games can Nebraska win? And then just five days later, you have Scott Frost who has the Zoom call where he's making this plea saying we cannot lose this season because of the economics, because of our student athletes. And then the next day it gets, it says postponed, but the fall season at that point was essentially canceled and moved to another time. And then we get the Big Ten open letter saying, hey, these are the reasons. That took a while to get. And then, of course, uh, eight Nebraska players suing the conference. But I can't wait to talk to Bill Moose about that and his feelings on those players and what they have done, exercising their right. And then, as we know, yesterday, the Big Ten comes out and answers the question from the lawsuit, says, yes, there was a vote. It was 11 to 3. And here are the reasons why we did that. Do you feel better about the decision that was made based off of knowing it was 11 to 3 and that they had these two groups of doctors and researchers who gave him this information? No, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it at all. I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. and, and try to understand where they're coming from, but it's really hard when you have other doctors, other um, heads of universities and other conferences saying, 
this is our plan, and we're not we're we're not backing off of it. Right. I, the SEC, the Big Twelve, and the ACC. So what you know? Why are the information that's presented to these from their doctors to those presidents, chancellors, ads any different than what was presented to Kevin Warren and Ronnie Green and and, and go so on and so forth? And so it just doesn't make sen- a whole lot of sense to me in uh, health and and concerns for the players. I I, right. I, I get that. Um, but like I've talked to many football players before, there's about 19 other things I'm more afraid of happening <laughs> right. in a football game than catching um, a virus. Yeah. And so just two plus two doesn't equal four in my mind right now. Yeah. Things aren't adding up to me. Um, and then you, you, the vote per se, you know, you hear the, the Minnesota's president and right. you hear the, the Penn State's AD. And that's just the whole the confusing thing. The whole thing is the disconnect between everybody. There wasn't um, a united message right. initially. And I think we're very fortunate in, at this university that you have Bill Moose, Ronnie Green, um, Scott Frost are all on the same page. Even above you, you, you that, Governor, Governor Rickett, yeah, we're, we're, Ben Sass. We're, yes, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have everyone um, united and collected on the same page. You can't say that for these, right. you know, you know, the eleven other, you know, uh, universities, and that's very unfortunate um, because it means a big deal here as well as to all the other, other, other towns and places they're in. So it's just it's it's confusing. Um, they still I'll still need more information, but sure. maybe the information they're getting presented to them. Might get football back. We'll see. Yeah. You mentioned earlier President Trump got involved um, and came out and basically said, you know, that I'm going to do my best to get this done. We were on the one-yard line for talking to Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the league. And then the Big Ten made a statement after that saying the White House uh, representative reached out to the Big Ten to have that conversation. That happened on the 31st. The phone call then did happen between Donald Trump and the commissioner today. Uh, the statement is the Big Ten Conference and its return to competition task force on behalf of the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors are exhausting every resource to help student athletes get back to playing the sports they love at the appropriate time, the safe and healthiest way possible. You also look at what happened Friday. Friday, the news comes out, well, maybe they'll get back Thanksgiving weekend. As of this afternoon, you have Dan Patrick, who had a report, you know, a couple a month ago or right. whatever, saying it was the vote was only two teams, Nebraska and Iowa, voting against not playing. Now he says October 10th is the date. Other reports are October 17th is the date. We're going to talk to Bill Moose coming up. Maybe he can answer that. But really, <laughs> there's more questions every day than we actually have answers. Yeah, the field goal posts have, have changed every day. Um, that's, that's the crazy, that's just the, I mean, for the last, what, five months. Yeah. That's kind of the, 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 the deal we live in. I, like I said, go back to March, we don't know. We didn't know what was happening, what right. was this thing was. We have a pretty good understanding of um, who it affects, how it affects, um, how to help, how to not help, um, bubbles, no bubbles, um, testing, temperatures, masks, no masks, whatever it may be. You have all this information presented. And that's just the frustrating thing is why when it, you had this, all this information, you know whether you started September 5th, September 25th, October 10th, 17th, right. March 1st, who knows. There was no guarantee this virus was ever going to be right. there, not there. Um, but you did know, you know that as time goes on, more information, you can take time. You don't have to rush into things. So the SEC waited right, for right, right, right. Why, why, why shut it down so quickly? Right. Not, why not give it a chance? That's, yeah. that's the biggest, that's the fr- most frustrating thing to me is why not just buy yourself some more time? Because now we're, it looks like we're almost in the same yeah. situation that we, sh- we should have been in the first place, you know? Um, that's just the unfortunate thing. I think the overall feeling is why not at least give it a chance to fail? Right. Could have done that. There's a lot to talk about still tonight. We want to hear from you. Reach out via text or email, bigred at netnebraska.org. Or chat with us. Of course, send us any kind of questions you want on Facebook, on Twitter, all our social media feeds. Because we're looking forward to hearing from you all night long. Get in touch with us tonight and join the conversation. Our sideline survey is back and ready for your vote tonight as well. When do you think Big Ten will return to football? Will it be in October like we've heard today? Will it be in November like we heard on Friday? Or will it be January or even later in 2021. Head over to the website now, vote, and head back uh, and vote all week on the survey. Right now it's 47% saying October, the news that we kind of received uh, today, yeah. along with the latest news that we're receiving. That would that'd be awesome. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah. That would be excellent news. But like we kind of were just dis- discussing before, is it enough time to get, you know, because you have I think kids, October 10th, yeah. you, you can squeeze it in. You, you probably, well, what did Scott Frost say? Right. Give me a week, right. and we're ready to go. I think the kids are going to make it work. Right. I think these players and, and coaches will absolutely make it work because what you want to do is you want to compete. You have the same compete at the same time with the other conferences. Yeah. You want to get yourself back into that college football playoff discussion. You know, and 
you start playing in the spring or the winter, that's not, that doesn't happen. And you Nebraska's know? got a lot to look forward to going right. into the season. I mean, at the top, there's Adrian Martinez and there's Wando Robinson and there's all that. But we were talking about off-air, the offensive line, 97 returning starts. You've got a guy like Hymas who has 31 returning starts. Bo Wilson has a bunch of returning starts. Farniak, were you excited to watch the offensive line? Oh, 100%. Then, you know, just getting the, the, producing, uh, the production notes before, and I'm, like, talking about position groups. Like, the yeah. line was by far the group I was most – I'm a defensive guy. Yes. You, know, and I, you don't, you don't like, like all line, line, line right? right. Yeah. And – I mean, you, you go down, you want to, you're going to see a young uh, Ben Hart, Farniak moving down. You're going to mm-hmm. have Cam Jurgens now getting his second year. You left guard, you, Hicks and you know, Great Go battle Wilson, probably yeah, at the guard spot. But then you have Hymas, who might be the best NFL prospect Nebraska has on the, on the team right yeah. now. Um, and that's, I mean, I've sat up here and talked for, for a couple of years now and said, you win football games up front. And Nebraska's mm-hmm. finally in a position for this offense to go and finally take off and not kind of, you know, get going and kind of, you know, Peel out and you know, say it's on tracks and yeah. kind of get, yeah. it's going to get out of its own way because they finally can produce right. up front, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to Adrian's get a little more time, get more comfortable. You got yeah. Diedrich, um, you got Wandell, Omar Manning coming in, bunch of um, young yeah, running backs, right. too. Sevian Morrison. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to him. right. Austin Allen coming through, you know, um, tight end. Jack Stoll, yep. you know, um, Kurt Raftel. You just go down the, all these weapons that they've had. Yeah. And it's the third year in the offense, man. It's the, and the offensive line would let this group finally. Uh, excel for once. Yeah, Travis Vokalek is another one for yeah. tight end. I was looking forward Rutgers to transfer. I think the other position a lot of people are looking forward to is Coach Fisher's group, that defensive backfield. So many bodies, so many young guys. Some were hurt last year. We knew Bo- we knew Bodle for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Deontay Williams we know was going to be back after last year. But a lot of question marks, but a lot of talent. That would have been fun to watch. Yeah, again, I, I'm never a huge fan of saying uh, your DBs are always your best <laughs> uh, position on your right. defense. But, yeah, I mean, Deontay Williams getting him back, you lose him after the first game, that's, that's a huge hit. You have to have guys kind of bouncing around. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's a g- good group. Uh, you know, you look at the linebacker position, the young the young guys coming in there. Luke Reimers, mm-hmm. um, you got a Will Honus kind of coming in there. Colin Jackson Miller, Hanna, yeah, we talked about right. when he came in, but you know didn't play at all last right. year. Right, and you you know then it's my biggest you know question mark is who's going to step up that outside linebacker group? Is is yeah. is Caleb Tanner going to step up there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know who plays opposite, you know, who's kind of the, yeah. who's going to set the edge, who's going to brush the passer. Um, you know, you're going to play some big guys up D-line now. Yeah. you got three guys that are on in, in NFL training camps right now. Yep. So, you know, you have some young guys, you know, Ty Robinson, um, Damian Williams, or uh, Damian Daniels finally gets some reps. Finally getting a chance. Yeah, you know, Ben Stilley's going to get some, mm-hmm. you know, finally get himself in there. He's been playing really well, but, um, yeah, it's just, the, the question marks are definitely more on, on the defensive side than right. the offensive side for me, but, um I sure hope they get a chance to play. We started with offensive line. We're going to go to one of the smartest offensive lines in history in Nebraska. Um, pretty good player, too. We want to bring in our special guest to get his perspective on Big Ten's decision on postponing the football in the fall. Former Husker, Dr. Rob Zadiska, joining us here on Big Red Wrap-Up. Good morning, Rob. Good afternoon, Rob. How you doing? So he's talking to you in the morning, man. I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Um, let's start off with the question I think a lot of people are asking, especially for someone who is a medical professional. Did the Big Ten make the right decision? Could they play football safely, in your opinion? I, I think so. You know, I mean, there's always kind of what I guess I refer to as sort of a risk threshold. And when I say that, it's if you're going to give it a try, give it a try. And you're, you're seeing teams around the country, you're seeing conferences around the country who, who are, in fact, going to try and see if they can't play football this fall. At some point, there's this threshold you cross where I don't know if you've really gained much, but by canceling a football season, you already have these kids on campus. You've got them in sort of this bubble, so to speak. I know it's not a true NBA-style bubble, but you've got a lot of oversight and a lot of motivation for these kids to stay safe, social distance, wear their masks, whatever. And I think if you take the football season away, you lose that. And the risk level comes down to the same level it would be for anybody else in the general population. So by canceling football, I actually think you've probably increased their risk a small degree. A lot of things have changed since that original cancellation. And one of the big things is testing. We see that test, the Abbott test, that are saying now it would cost about $5, take about 15 minutes. How big of a game changer, in your opinion, is that test? I think it'd be a huge game changer just in the sense that you could take a team and again, assuming you've got the right equipment, you can run the test right away, test the entire team, ancillary staff, trainers, coaches. Uh, you, you could test the, the state, the people who work at the stadium, uh, the ground, the, the, the people who are maintaining the field turf, concessions, whatever, uh, 
to the extent that you could basically have a essentially a tested COVID free environment to play a football game mm-hmm. in, start testing the night before you could test people day of. It, it, it seems mind blowing to me that these, these advances aren't being taken into the decision-making process that the big 10 had, at least at this point in time. Yeah. You have such a unique perspective, not only being a medical professional, but also because your son's playing, your nephew's playing. I'm assuming you feel comfortable about both of them and the way it's being handled in the NSAA and in high school football in the state? I, I do. And again, I think a lot of it goes back to that. If you've, if you've got the kids in some kind of organized activity, you've got so much more oversight for these guys than you would have if, you, if they weren't participating in a sport. And whether it's Big Ten, OPS, uh, you know, you can make the kind of similar arguments for both. But I think if you give the kids that additional level of oversight that the coaching staff provides, team trainers provide, uh, even the teammates with each other, that's a, lot, that's a layer of oversight and motivation that they don't have if they weren't playing. I'm, I'm comfortable with my son playing. There, again, at some point, I keep going back to this, this risk threshold. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to be in school, if they're going to be operating in sort of this new normal that we've got right now in the world, I don't think there's much of an increase in risk by having these guys go out for three hours and play in a football game especially when they're already working out with each other, training with each other, going to school with each other. In terms of the football game itself, I think you, again, you've got an added layer of safety just from the oversight alone. Dr. Rob, I think one of the things that frustrate folks the most is the changing of the goalposts, as Jay said. So going back to March, now we're probably in seven months of this virus. They keep giving new information to us. This is natural, right? I mean, this is kind of the natural progression of a virus. We're constantly learning new things about it and adjusting it protocol. Is, it is. And I kind of, you know, I hear that. I've heard that a lot from critics of, I guess, the scientific community in terms of should we, we, should we be wearing masks? How big a difference does that make? Is the vaccine going to have that much of effect? There's a lot of ways to look at this. And, I, and I've heard people say that, just what you said, that it sounds like the doctors, the scientists, the researchers keep moving the goalposts. We're not, science and doctors aren't moving the goalposts, the viruses. And that's something I think we're, we're trying to learn this as we go. Now, if you look at it, a good way to look at it is if you look at, say, influenza, in terms of really kind of having half a feel for what influenza is, mm-hmm. we've been dealing with influenza for 100 years, well, longer than that. We've known what influenza is for about 100 years. We are still trying to learn how to really deal with it. Mm-hmm. We still haven't figured out the common cold, which half your common cold viruses are coronaviruses. Um, you look at probably the, one of the most studied viruses in human history up until COVID was HIV, we at least kind of knew about the existence of it going back to the late 1960s, early 1970s. Now we hadn't really isolated it or identified it, but yet at least seen the effects of it going back to the 1960s, 1970s. So prior to COVID, HIV was the most heavily studied virus in human history. Mm-hmm. We've been working on that one literally for almost half a century and we're still trying to figure out a cure or vaccine for that one. So in terms of moving the goalposts, we've been dealing with this for six months. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's an absolute, in the scope of things from a virus studying standpoint, it's, it's an incredibly, that's like microseconds in the cosmic history of knowing how to deal with a virus. Yeah. Rob, one last thing. One of the big conversations that happened, the Pac-12 talked about, the Big Ten talked about it, is that myocarditis and, and how it affects the heart. And that's a big question mark. They had a study that came out. Um, it looks like that study was more for people older age or at least middle age opposed to college age. What do you think about the idea of the myocarditis and affecting or infecting the heart later on after getting this virus? Well, and it's, it's something that's kind of misunderstood. So for on one hand, in terms of viruses being able to cause myocarditis, it's very real. And it's a concern with any virus. 
the fact of the matter is, is that they haven't seen a lot of actual true myocarditis mm -hmm. with this particular coronavirus at all. And that's why some of these studies, they come out initially and then they kind of get panned after the fact is because when they really have gone in and taken a look at it, it turns out it really wasn't myocarditis. Now, that doesn't mean coronavirus or COVID-19 can't affect the heart. It can, and it can do it in some very detrimental ways. And some of those ways actually look like myocarditis, despite not being that. And so there is a risk there. It's hard to know what it is because we haven't dealt with it very long. We haven't dealt with it in younger people, and we haven't dealt with it mm -hmm. in very healthy heavily trained young people like athletes, past experience with other viruses, with myocarditis and with heart issues within athletes, tells us that it's probably a pretty small risk though. Rob, we appreciate it, man. It always feels like I've gone through like, I don't know, residency after having conversations <laughs> with you. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. You guys have a great day. You do the same. Uh, coming up next on the wrap-up, we'll be joined by the Nebraska Athletic Director, Bill Moose, to talk about everything that's happened in the last several weeks, including what's happened today. Before we go to break, take a look at some images from last season, courtesy of photos from Hale Varsity. We'll be right back soon. As the coronavirus makes this season the first fall since 1889 that the Huskers won't take the field, we can look back to 1918 to see that this wasn't the first time a pandemic had dramatic effects on a football season. As the Spanish flu of 1918 surged, it infected 500 million people worldwide. Masks were commonplace, but the flu wasn't the only thing disrupting lives. World War I was in its final stages and had taken many eligible young men off the football field. Nebraska, who had won eight straight conference titles, was left to schedule its own games after the Missouri Valley canceled its conference season. William Klein, in his first and only season as head coach, led a depleted team through a tumultuous time. In their first game of a delayed season that began in October, Nebraska was held scoreless against Iowa. As flu infections rose around the country, their season would pause again until November. City ordinances had banned public gatherings and multiple teams canceled contests against the Huskers. As the Great War ended and flu sanctions eased, Nebraska football returned to the field and posted shutout wins against Omaha Balloon School and Kansas before falling to Camp Dodge. The Huskers' featured opponent that season was Notre Dame, and the two schools came together on Thanksgiving to a scoreless tie. At the time, a welcome result against a powerhouse machine. The season would culminate in a loss a week later, just as the second wave of the Spanish flu was coming to an end. Though the outcome of results was hardly what fans had come to expect, they were rewarded nonetheless with football. As many teams across the country outright canceled seasons that year, the Huskers' determination to play provided a respite for Nebraskans during trying times. We are pleased to welcome to Big Red Wrap-Up, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose. I know you've been very busy, Bill. We appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. How have you guys been doing? We're doing the best we can, just like you are. I know that. <laughs> Let, let's just jump right in, because this has been a, an amazing day with the news of President Trump speaking with Kevin Warren, and then the statement comes out from the Big Ten, and then more rumor control that maybe the season could start as early as October 10th. Tell us where we are right now in terms of getting back to com competition. Well, we've been working uh, as athletic directors uh, in the Big Ten since uh, the beginning of March, uh, two-hour uh, Zoom meetings every morning. I think we're up to 120-some of them and, mm. and uh, trying and looking in every way that we can get back to play uh, for our fall sports. And, um, of course, that uh, uh, kind of went out the window uh, not long ago after we'd announced our schedule. and. The presidents and chancellors just didn't feel like um, the environment uh, was was ready for something uh, that could be this risky. But I think we've made great strides since then. Uh, we've got a back-to-play task force, uh, of which I'm a member of one of the committees that is really diving into an alternate season. A number of different start times have been looked at, a um, couple of them before the first of the year or after the first of the year. And then uh, 
we're exploring something that might might be able to happen a little bit earlier, but uh, we haven't pinned anything down to this point. Can you kind of give us an idea about those models? Could it be as early as something early in October, or is it something that we'd have to wait till Thanksgiving? Can you kind of give us an idea what the best chance models are at this point? Right now, uh, the earliest that we've discussed is a Thanksgiving model. Um, uh, there, there has been a lot of support early on uh, for uh, Jan- first of January. Personally, I think it gets a it, it gets a little scary if we start any later because, as Jay knows, being a former player, that uh, the the body uh, can't can't really uh, uh, bounce back with another season just down the road. So. Um, I really think the earlier the better, but we, we've got to be careful and, and make sure that, that um, the pandemic is under control to some degree and that our testing protocols are consistent and, and working. So I, I think that uh, it would be a seven or eight game season conference only uh, with a championship game uh, occurring probably right around the beginning of March uh, for that January model. But one of the big questions I know I've heard people email us on our show and, and ask all these questions about why didn't why wasn't at least it seemed like better c- communication if all the ads were on board to play the the presidents and chancellors had to know what you guys thought right why wasn't there seemingly better communication about what you guys wanted what the coaches wanted to go along to the presidents and chancellors? Well, I believe that uh, there was a, a bit of a communication flaw there at the end where uh, our medical people on each of our campuses were working uh, in, in, in one sense. The athletic directors um, were trying to put all our, our things together with television and where are we going to play these games and what's it going to look like. And, um, and then the presidents and chancellors who've been involved as much as they could, they've got a lot on their plate too. Um, really, I, I don't believe had a chance, they didn't have a chance to really discuss this uh, with the ADs as a group. And um, next time around that will happen. And I think we learned our lesson, but I I think they got a little nervous uh, when listening to the medical professionals and uh, decided that that, uh, uh, we should uh, postpone it further. Now, um, I liked our original model because we started early. We started that first week, which is this week of September, mm-hmm. and we had enough flexibility that we could move back or move into some bye weeks. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't get a, a chance to try it. Athletic Director from Nebraska, Bill Moose, joining us here on the wrap up. I'm curious about looking at the situation kind of across the board, it, not being able to play while you watch other conferences play. How difficult be, will that be for you? And how much do you think that could encourage whatever the model is to get started quicker? Well, it's going to be tough for all of us. It's going to be tough for Nebraskans because uh, uh, Nebraska loves football. Mm-hmm. And we have the most passionate fans in college football. But our players want to play. Our coaches want to coach. Our fans want to watch. And it's not going to be easy uh, watching our peers in the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC uh, and and other college programs take the field and uh, we've got an empty stadium. You know, there's some iconic stadiums in uh, the Big Ten. You think about the Big House and the Horseshoe and right here at Memorial Stadium that are going to be empty uh, this coming weekend. And hopefully uh, we can can get something happening before too long and and uh, in, a, in a safe manner and get back with it. Mm-hmm. And of course, those other conferences will be starting soon, including the SEC, which we talked a lot about them starting on the 26th. You've done everything you can not to cut sports at Nebraska, where other schools have had to. I know it's been tough choices you've had to make. If we can't get a season in for whatever reason in the, in the winter or the spring, kind of what position would that be financially for the university? Well, we, we are facing, um, and I, I'll just be blunt, $100 million right now of lost revenue. Um, each home game uh, in Lincoln nets us around $14 million. So you can do the math there and then mm. uh, add in a number of other revenue streams. And we don't know what the television situation will look like either. So um, we were forced early on to... Uh, make some budget cuts. Uh, 
we eliminated 17 FTE positions. Uh, then we came back uh, a short while ago, furloughed 51 employees and another uh, salary reduction across the board of 10%, uh, which is going to help us. But um, I obviously don't want to ever have to cut a sport program in my career. I've never done that. I've added several, but um, I, I think we're going to be okay. It's going to depend on, on how this football season pans out, mm -hmm. but we um, are fortunate to have a reserve that can help us after we've made these, these uh, expense um, moves that we just did. And, and, uh, and, and hopefully we'll, we won't have to look at that. It, uh, um, it, it, it's devastating and, and uh, right now we're in, in good shape. But as you know, there are schools across the country, including our neighbors at the University of Iowa, who have discontinued programs. And uh, I think we're gonna see more and more of that. Right now, Nebraska's in a pretty good spot. We've talked a lot about the big picture, but in terms of like your son, for example, who won't be playing out in the Pac-12, how is he handling the emotions of, of losing a season? Yeah, it's tough on him. Uh, both my boys are major college football players. My older son who's um, in the profession now as an associate athletic director, was a very accomplished uh, defensive lineman at Arizona State. And uh, their father played years ago too. And, <laughs> and the three of us talk about, you know, you dream, and Jay can tell you and, and others, the, the dream of those Saturdays in, in packed stadiums and national TV audiences and and the camaraderie and, and the color and pageantry and all those things. And when it's taken away from you, it's very difficult. And uh, my son, Ben at Cal uh, is an outside linebacker. He's um, in a studio apartment <laughs> at, with his cat. And uh, I went out and visited him. He's got a good attitude. Uh, he may gain another year out of this because mm -hmm. uh, he's a red shirt junior. Uh, going into uh, whatever the season's going to be. So um, I'm there with supporting him along with uh, the 150-plus football players and all our student-athletes here yes. at the University of Nebraska. Bill, let's just, if football were, were to be played um, this year, what was the plan for fan attendance at Memorial Stadium? Yeah, that's uh, that was being worked on, and we continue to have dialogue, even though it, it doesn't look likely. Um, but... We were working very closely with the uh, uh, Lancaster County health officials and others uh, through, throughout the community and around the state. And uh, we were hoping uh, for a 50% capacity. Um, we, we did a lot of our budget work uh, with that number, but we also did some with 25%. We had all the buttons to push to um, uh, incorporate any of those plans and uh, have kept them in, in just the off chance that we still might get to play here at home. Bill Moose joining us here on the wrap-up. What about eligibility? You mentioned your son may be getting another year. That could be the case across the board for everybody who's missing out on the fall. How do you handle that financially? How do you handle that in terms of roster, the 85-team uh, limit? How do you handle all that? It would be very difficult. But uh, when, I, when I think of the student-athletes, uh, like I mentioned with my son, who uh, – could be robbed of a year of eligibility, uh, I sympathize with them. And we're going to have to manage that in regards to uh, roster sizes and the recruiting piece of it. Because uh, if, if you're going to keep that outside linebacker for another year because he's getting a sixth year, then you're going to have to adjust what you're recruiting to come in and, and fill the gaps after he leaves. Might not be a, as much of a uh, necessity, maybe it'll be more. And then who, who has to go when you, when you drop your scholarship number back to 85? Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be difficult. I will say this, our promise to our student athletes, and it's a sincere one, is getting their education and graduating. And that will be uh, the primary piece of this. We did it for the spring sports mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, gave the coaches uh, a choice of whether they wanted that 
individual to come back uh, in graduate school, a second degree or whatever, so that they could have some flexibility in managing their rosters. And it very likely could go that way with our, our fall sports as well. One of the stories that came out yesterday was Iowa had to suspend the activities they were doing athletically. What are Nebraska football players doing right now? Like, where does it fit? Is this kind of like a pre-spring where you're just doing conditioning? What do they do over the course of the 12 hours right now? Well, early on, uh, Michael, we were uh, uh, in in uh, in a mode where it was all volunteer, mm -hmm. and I pushed very hard to get that in place uh, by the the first part of July. I I felt then, and I feel now, in our situation, the safest place for our student athletes is Lincoln, Nebraska. And the safest place in Lincoln, Nebraska is in our facilities where we can control, where we're doing temperature checks, we're testing, uh, uh, cleaning, scouring. Uh, we, we can control that and, and it was working very, very well. Um, and then we incorporated uh, the rest of our fall sports and also men's and women's basketball. Um, our plan then, which has gone into place now, is to fold in the rest of our sports. Uh, and uh, that's, that's coming along nicely again because we're very organized and have a, have a tremendous protocol across the board. But um, then we graduated to 12 hours in mm -hmm. football of access from the coaches and had just entered into 20 uh, when, when it was discontinued. The, NC2A has put us back to 12. Um, the other three conferences that I mentioned earlier that are going to compete this fall are, are, are at their full 20. Mm -hmm. If we were to, to start a competitive season, whether it's Thanksgiving, January, or later, uh, we would move those, those weeks um, accordingly as to how they were originally in place when we were thinking of starting on uh, September 5th. The last thing you talked since you started about how great the fan base is, you really got an indication of that when you reached out to them and said, hey, what do you want to do with your season tickets? Kind of give us an idea of what you heard back from the fans when you asked them that question. Well, it, was, it, it didn't surprise me. Um, I, I learned early on, and I had heard about this passionate fan base. You only have to look at the sellout record and, and, and travel this great state and talk to them in all these small towns. Uh, they're amazing. So we we asked them what they wanted to do in regards uh, to their season tickets and donations for their their seats. And 20% of them uh, said, you keep the money. Mm. Um, and uh, these are tough times for you. Uh, we want to support you. You just keep that money. 60% said we would like to roll it over into 2021, which is great, too, because we're, we can keep that uh, those, those dollars in our, in our uh, bank account. And then 20% asked for refunds, and that's certainly understandable as well. But overall, it was a, a, a great response. And again, the, the passion of our fans is unequaled. Bill, we really appreciate it. We're all cheering for you to get a season, a safe season, as quickly as possible. Uh, I am too, and uh, I don't know how many seasons I got left in this business, so uh, I, I'm raring to go, and, and hopefully we'll be, uh, we'll be doing something and, uh, and doing it sooner than later. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. No doubt. Thanks for the time again. Absolutely. Bill Moose, the athletic director at Nebraska. Doesn't sound like we're going to get a season anytime really soon, like we're hearing. How would you feel about starting the week of Thanksgiving? <sighs> it's I like it better than starting January 1 or right. February. Mm -hmm. um, I'll take anything right about now. I, I, anything before, you know, still in 2020. Right. I'll take, I'll take it. Um, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see, you know, I mean, obviously we, he's not going to let us into the, I mean, they're, sure. they're, just, they're having two-hour meetings every morning, so they know I mean, that things could be, they're discussing how they potentially could play on October 10th. And obviously, they don't want to get anybody's hopes up because obviously um, we've they've already done that to us before releasing the schedule yeah. and said they pulled the rug up from us just a few days later. Um, I, yeah, I'm just give me anything at this point sometime in 2020 with Nebraska football because after we're going to watch SEC, Big 12, ACC, mm -hmm. man, I mean we're going to have football to watch, but that's going to be that's going to be a gut wrencher just to just to not have. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, we're supposed to be the first. It's supposed to be game week. Right. This is supposed to be game week, and it's yeah. it's you know 
my, I've been on this earth for 37 years, and that's the first time I've ever experienced. I mean, everyone's the same way. I mean, yeah. I don't think too many people are alive since 1918 with this last <laughs> pandemic. So, this, so. <laughs> this is like a full-fledged redshirt year, <laughs> right? For everybody, right? And nobody wants to not play. No. Coming up next on the show, Sean Callahan will join us, and we'll take a look at the latest recruiting news because that's always going on. But first, another look back at football from 2019, courtesy of Hale Varsity. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us on The Wrap-Up. I'm Michael Severe, now joined by Sean Callahan from Rivals. Time to talk some recruiting as well. You know, Shane, the, I mean, Sean, the one thing that never stops is recruiting, as you know. This has been a heck of a last, what, 10 days for Nebraska recruiting? Yeah, over a five-day period, Michael, Nebraska got three commits from Monday to Friday. Um, you know, it started with Kobe Bretts from Westside on Monday Thomas Fedoni at the middle of the week, and then A.J. Rollins from Creighton Prep at the end of the week. So um, it really has been um, about as busy of a stretch. Uh, Nebraska's recruiting class has climbed its way kind of in that top 20 area now. Um, that's what happens when you get a big-time recruit like Thomas Fedoni. He's the highest-ranked recruit Nebraska has gotten um, in terms of high school players since 2008. Mm. That would have been Baker Steinkuhler, Michael, who was a five-star back then. Looking at what we have is this great regional group, right? They're doing a great job recruiting that way. How much do you think that is because of the fact we've had a dead period and you can't have visitors? Or it just so happened that they've done a great job in the 500-mile radius this time? I'll say this. Even before COVID hit, you know, a year ago at this time, even January and February, the, the thought was, wow, this is a great year locally. You look at the number of offers they made. And then Iowa, you got a South Dakota guy in there. Colorado and Kansas weren't necessarily as good as they have been for Nebraska this year. They really didn't push on too many kids in those states. Um, but three guys from Iowa, I mean, that's the most I've ever seen in my 20-plus years covering Nebraska recruiting. Um, so that has helped to get those Iowa kids. You get a South Dakota guy, and then on the in-state front. Um, so, yeah, it, it has been a good year uh, to have the local ties. But then, you know, you've got guys on the staff like Sean Becton with strong ties and connections in Georgia and Florida, and um, they've been able to pull some of those kids as well. And luckily, too, Michael, this is a year where numbers aren't as big. So, and you heard Bill Moose say, eligibility and, and the, the charts in general are going to be tough to manage going forward. Um, going in, they were looking at about 20 guys regardless, maybe 22. Mm -hmm. um, but this is not going to be a take 28 or 25 year based on the numbers, at least today, on the roster. Sean, one of the things we say over and over is that Nebraska needs more dudes. I don't know if there's a more dude guy than Thomas Fedoni. With that length, the way he plays, the way he runs, the way he catches the ball, this is a unique specimen at tight end. You know, and you look at him at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, runs an electronic 4'6", 36-inch mm. type vertical. He's got NFL type of numbers right now. And you watch him on the basketball court, his athletic ability and, and what he does. His career really got launched when he was an MVP at the All-American Combine in San Antonio uh, this past January. From that point on, you saw all these coaches and everybody come into Council Bluffs uh, to, to get a look at him. And you know he went out to, there was a camp that Steve Warren, a former Husker player and now trainer in Omaha put on and he invited a number of uh, guys and Fedoni did not need to go to the camp and he went out there and showed everybody kind of why he is who he is and right now he's the number two ranked tight end in the country. Um, he's very, very close to being a five star. Mm. Uh, could easily end up being the number one ranked tight end uh, by season's end. Had a chance last weekend to see Kobe Bretts play uh, with Westside. Bigger than I thought he was in person. Really fast. One of those guys with long speed. This is a great gift for Nebraska. Where do you see him playing ultimately? I think He's kind of in that mold of a JoJo Dolman, mm. Luke Gifford, Isaac Gifford. He could start at safety and move his way down to maybe an outside linebacker, hybrid guy on the edge. Um, but yeah, great length, great size at 6'2, 6'3. Um, and, you know, last year was relatively new on the scene, but I know a lot of people that would go to Westside games and you know, Avante Dickerson is obviously the stud four-star going to Minnesota there, but a lot of people would walk away and say, man, that Brett's guy is yep. just as good. And I, I joked Chris Brown, his son, um, Colby, is the backup quarterback to Cole Payton there. And 
way at the beginning, Chris said Kobe Bretts is the guy on this team that you got to watch. I mean, he is going to be a, a standout guy. And what's interesting too, Michael, he was a runner-up or a state champion level type diver um, as well. So you know he's got good body control yeah. if he can pull a two and a half off a low board and do some <laughs> of the things he does on a diving board. The other guy, of course, is A.J. Rollins, who is, you know, this first weekend, he only had one target for Creighton Prep. Good athlete, plays basketball, plays football. What do you think of A.J. Rollins in this pickup? You know, they, they offered him in June of 2019 at the team camp. Um, and a lot of people at the beginning are like, this is a, just a basketball guy playing football. Uh, but as you and I both know, Michael, there's a lot of basketball players that figure out football's the ticket. And, you know, he, I think he realized right away and with his length and his upside um, last June, Eric Chenander and Scott Frost really liked what they saw. They offered him at that camp. Then a number of other Power Five regional programs came in and offered Rollins as well. Um, I, I, I still think he's a guy, though, that needs some polishing and some work, but he's got at least the, the length and the, and the size that they want to add to this roster. And my question is, will he play tight end or could he play on defense? And yep. I, I think they're bringing a lot of guys in this class that have that ability to move multiple spots. We've seen this staff do that. Ethan Piper came in as a defensive guy, moved to the O-line. Uh, Brant Banks came in as a defensive guy. They moved him to the, the O-line as well. So we've seen this staff move guys that have the ability to play either side of the ball. Yeah, no doubt. We'll continue this conversation, but first we want to make sure you're voting in this week's sideline survey. When do you think the Big Ten will play football? Will it be in October? November, January, or we're gonna have to wait all the way to the fall of 2021. Right now, we got about 50% of the people saying October of 2020. We hope that those people are right. We really do. Uh, the people at the bottom say they won't play again until fall of 2021. We hope they're completely wrong, but definitely that top one is what we're all hoping for. Sean, what do you? What's your feel? What do you feel in terms of when we will finally get on the field and watch some Big Ten football? Well, I know last Thursday night is when the coaches first kind of got word of the Thanksgiving option. Um, Barry Alvarez, who runs the return to competition committee for the Big Ten, um, you know, is handling all that. And he talked to Paul Christ, and Chris alerted all the coaches. These are the two models that Barry's looking at, a Thanksgiving model that's 10 games plus a one championship game, so a 10 plus one with a possible Rose Bowl or, mm -hmm. you know, if the Pac-12 plays, it's hard to say, um, or a December 29th type start that would be an eight-game schedule with a championship game. So those were the two last week, Michael, that um, were brought in by about Thursday night. The coaches got word of those. Now, yesterday, last night, at least at the coach level, there began to be a strong push for an October 10th start. And that's where the Dan Patricks of the world and, and the reports came. Um, you have to think Ohio State and Ryan Day is really driving that. I mean, they're the number two team in the country. Yeah. Um, I think they probably played a factor in getting President Trump's um, involvement as well. So it has gotten very interesting to kind of watch all of this from afar, especially today's turn of events. Um, you know, a year ago at this time, who would have thought we'd be where we're at covering President Donald Trump tweets about Big Ten football in the start of a season. Um, but th that is 2020. There's been a lot of things unpredictable about this year. The only bad news about what Sean was saying there is that the coaches, it seemed like, haven't been listened to. Even the ADs haven't been listened to at this point. So you hopefully it starts trickling down and they listen to those folks. Yeah, just communication. I mean, just get everyone on the same page. And I think Nebraska's been very fortunate to have we said it from top to bottom, governor through, mm -hmm. all the way through Scott Frost, that everyone's on the same page and understands, and they're having this momentum to play football. But obviously that's not the case. And not to have a, you hear Bill Moose say, not have the ADs to have ability to, to communicate what they want and what their beliefs are and why they want to play to the presidents and chancellors is, is absolutely mind-blowing in this day and age where we know communication is so key, and especially in a, in a day and age like this and what we're dealing with. Um, it's just perplexing. I mean, it's just, I, it's mind-blowing that mm. they, they don't have an a seat at the table, realistically. They don't have a seat at the table to, to present why they need to play football. Yeah. It's, Sean, it's you know negative recruiting happens all the time. If somehow the Big Ten can't get a season going until January, how do you think overall, looking down the road, that affects recruiting for Big Ten? A lot of it depends on what happens in the other leagues. If the other leagues can get their 10 games in, play championship games. There's a Heisman ceremony. There's a college football playoff, and the Big Ten's not involved in any of it. And today, right now, on September 1st, I have no reason to believe that you know, they're, they're going to get those games in and they're going to play. Uh, we, we've seen high school football played and other things played, um, so it will be interesting. But if those teams don't for some reason and the Big Ten's model can work, 
um, then maybe it won't hurt as bad. But today, right now, it, it feels like this could be used against the Big Ten. Um, luckily, the NCAA has not allowed immediate eligibility to transfers. A lot of teams, though, right now don't have spots to give scholarships to kids in August. You're full up on 85 at that point. So that's helped you know, maybe a, a rash of transfer players leave. And just the carrot of maybe October, the carrot of Thanksgiving, I think has kept guys. I think that's the most important thing now. If you're the Big Ten, mm-hmm. you have to put this is the plan in place um, so you can let everybody kind of turn the page and move forward. Um, and obviously, I don't think a lot of people are thrilled about Thanksgiving or December or January. Um, I think you know everyone's like, why can't we play October 10th? What is the difference between October 10th and Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still plenty of time. Um, as we're looking at 40 days until October 10th, if that truly would be an option, even October 17th. I think um, people would be okay with eight games if you could get them in in October. It's a matter of can the politics and the presidents and the ADs and everybody kind of align and agree that, you know what, we can make this work. Things have changed since early August. We need to be open because this virus Every day we learn new things about this, and we can find a way to make this work, and the other leagues are proving that right now. Jay, one of the first things that Scott Frost talked about in his Zoom, outside of the money, was the effect on the student-athlete. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in this situation. You don't have that carrot of playing football anytime soon. You're on campus. You're going to class. What, how, how do you think you'd deal with that? I don't, it'd, be, it'd be really hard. I know one thing. I, w- I, would, I would still have played, even you know, with the chance to you know, go to the NFL. I put myself in my you know, my senior year with a chance right. to go to the five. Hundred percent. You're not going to opt out. No, I still would have. No, heck no, I still would have played. It's twenty-one, twenty-two year olds. You know, even you know, twenty-three year olds. You, you need structure, mm-hmm. and you need to have some sort of um, you know plan in place for you. And you don't have that, man. It's it's it can get it can get messy. You know, there's just there's a lot of those a lot of dangling carrots out there for those kids to go and um, partake in. You know, the the nightlife and yep. what it is, and that puts them at harm. That puts them at risk. Whether well, not, you know, for not only to get the 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 virus, but it's just all that training, that work you you know you just put in. You know, and you're just kind of tearing that all down. And right. then all of a sudden, hey, we might play. And then it's you know, boom, we're gonna start playing. It's like, well, you kind of gotta reboot the system again. Right. Yeah, it's just. Hope, I hope these kids still have some sort of structure going forward because I, it's very, very important because you could get sidetracked in a heartbeat. And I thought one of the more interesting things that Bill Moose talked about last week was even during a hiring freeze, they needed to add two more psychiatrists. They knew they needed those, those folks in there to be able to talk to these student-athletes. It's, it's a big part of the situation, isn't it? Yeah, the sports psychology side of things is really important. Um, I think... You know, our office at Husker Online, we, we office next to three or four psychiatrists, and they tell me how busy they are right now. They're, you know, they're Christmas season busy, which is typically their busiest time of the year. And I think not only just athletes, everywhere around the country, you know, it's, it's been a challenging year for so many people. And these athletes have only known sport. They've only known competition. They're the high level. They're the one percenters in their communities where they come from to come to a place like Nebraska and to take that away from them and tell them, you can't go forward with things. Um, it's been tough. There's no question. And, um, you know, it, the cutbacks and all the things that have had to come with this, um, you know, it, it, it's just been really hard to see because I think all of us a year ago at this time thought Nebraska was bulletproof. There was nothing that could stop Nebraska financially. They were set for life. And then a year like this happens and that entire reserve fund that they've worked so hard to build up and thankfully they have it, um, you know, is going to get them through this. But, um, you know, who, who would have thought we'd be in this spot a year ago? Yes or no question. You think we start in, sometime in October? <sighs> I need more days to decide, <laughs> but it doesn't seem likely today. Right. Um, a, a lot of things have to happen by Friday. Yeah, appreciate it, Sean. Special thanks to Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose and Rob Zadiska for joining us. For Jay Moore, Sean Callahan, I'm Michael Severe. We'll see you next time on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up.